fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. So well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? Or do you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. That's right, it is the 30-something movie podcast. We are back at you once again with another great 90s movie. This time around, we are in episode number 460, True Romance. This is, I'm just right out of the gate, I'm just going to say, this was so much fun. This was the first time I'd seen this one. This was so much fun. And because it was so much fun, had been talking with had been talking with Dayton Johnson from the Docking Bay 77 podcast and found out that this is one of your favorite movies. So I am so excited to have you on here with us. I've got Bo Warmbold is here as well. And Dayton Johnson is here from Docking Bay 77 podcast. So we're just going to get going right in here with just uh, Dayton, let you kind of introduce yourself and let folks who have listened to our show but may not have listened to your show, like what's your, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your show's about and, and all that. All right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's fantastic to be here. Well, what we do is I have a lot of friends that like to nerd out about music and movies and Netflix and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I wanted to bring my love of radio production to something I can do. And it's just been a lot of fun. And the best sample I can give you, I can tell you my March calendar right now dropped the first week of March. We did the top seven songs by female artists. We are comparing and contrasting the album Dreamboat Annie from Heart versus Crimes of Passion from Bat Benatar. We're talking about the movie Strange Days from Catherine Bigelow. And we're also discussing Spend the Night, the album from the Donnas. And then we're continuing our look at underappreciated Disney movies with the great mouse detective. So we like to hit a lot of different things. We've covered a book. We're getting ready to cover some comic books in April. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. A lot of friends I met through the Disney store and through podcasting and old high school buddies. We get together and we just have fun and make fun of each other. It's great. (laughs) Nice. That's kind of like what we do, too. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, one of a couple of your your recent episodes, just over the last couple of months or so that I listened to, that were were so much fun. Was I, I enjoyed your top seven bad movies we love? And, right, that was uh, a, that was a popular one. Yeah, and the other one too, because I I love this one. It's it's been a while since we've talked about it because it was kind of early on in our show, but it it is still one of my favorite Disney movies that not a whole lot of people seem to know about was the Black Cauldron. Right, right. The movie that almost sunk Disney. Yeah. 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 It's, it's one of those that you go back to and there's like on the episode I said, it's like, there's parts of this movie that are fantastic and yeah. there's parts of this movie that it just missed. And, but yeah, it's a beautiful movie. Yeah. The animation considering they were dealing with a lot of new people was just beautiful. Yeah. It's, that's the one that, and, and oddly enough, because it is a Disney movie, but that's the movie that I was like, man, I really love this animation more so than maybe any other Disney movie. Yeah. Wow. It, this looks it so much looks like good. this looks so much like a Don Bluth movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And that was right after he quit. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
No, it's so much fun. So much fun. And, and I do have to put in a plug for anybody that wants uh, some crossover action. I was on your show not too long ago. We had the uh, Star Wars trivia that we did with the Shirley podcast guys and right. had, had a great time doing that. It was it was so much fun and came out came out with a three-way tie in that one. Yes, that's which, right. <laughs> which I think is how that one had to end. I mean, it was just a it was a constant back and forth with all of our Star Wars knowledge. Right. And the, the fact that you knew that was Hebrew on Darth Vader's plate was just, that blew me away. <laughs> All I'm saying is... Bo will be the my, first one to tell you that I have weird knowledge. My brother and I played a game of Star Wars Trivial Pursuit with this guy. And we still haven't had a chance to answer. And it's probably been 20 years. About 20 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holding it Sector is... MV7. That's the one. That's the one yeah, that I got I wrong and... It haunts me to this day. Yeah, it tasks him. It, it, it tasks me. <laughs> tasks me and I shall have him. Yeah. Well, we are here. We're not here to talk Star Wars or Wrath of Khan, although we could. All day. Those, those all day. Could. All day long. But we are here to talk true romance. So before we get started here. True uh, romance. <laughs> you're you're going to do a crossover with the Sorry, Princess Bride? Movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's in this movie, you have you have Mowage. I do. If, yeah. Um. Before we get going, we, as we say every episode, we spoil freely here. We're just, we're just talking. So if we start to talk and we start to mention a movie that you haven't seen before, maybe skip ahead 10, 20 seconds or so, and, and we'll probably move on to something else. We have short attention spans. And then make sure you visit our website, 30podcast.com. That's the number 30, the word podcast.com. You can leave us a rating there, leave a voicemail. You can become a co-executive producer via Patreon over there, where we have a whole bunch of really fun bonus episodes. I am looking forward to, this is one of my favorite movies as a kid, is our one for this month, for the month of March. Our Patreon episode is Octopussy from 1983. I, and I will get into arguments with my mother-in-law over this sometimes. I grew up on Roger Moore, so he was my favorite, and and probably to this day even still remains my favorite Bond. She is, because she's older than me, obviously, she is so very much a Sean Connery fan. I, I think it always has to do with who you grew up with, but I, I love that movie. Octopussy is just so much fun, so I can't wait to talk about that one. But yeah, we got uh, we got all kinds of other good stuff over there, bonus episodes and whatnot, and and uh, you know if you if you join and support at a certain level, you can tell us what to do. You can find your favorite movie that one of us might hate and make us watch it and torture us relentlessly and all kinds of other good fun stuff. So head over there if you want to do that. But everybody likes to torture Pat. Just saying. That's true. Although he's he's trying to turn over a new leaf. You know, he's trying to he's trying to live by the uh, not yucking anybody's yum kind of a thing. So I feel like one of us has to turn heel and, and pick up on what he's left on the floor there. So yeah, no, it's just it's so much work to be that contrarian. I just don't know. You don't want to <laughs> you don't want to be the uh, the NWO Hulk Hogan and and uh, you know turn to the dark side. I I just don't know if I have the energy. Okay. <laughs> Takes fair, a lot of work. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's true. <laughs> no. I mean, I can be cranky. Don't get me wrong. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Saying that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, our uh, let, we'll jump right on into the movie here. Our first segment is trivia pursuits, and this is uh, we'll give you a little bit of a spiel on the movie itself, just some background info on the movie and the cast and crew and all that. So we are looking at true romance tonight. And this was released on the 10th of September, 1993, rated R with a runtime of one hour, 59 minutes, directed by Tony Scott, who died in 2012. He also did Top Gun, Crimson Tide, and a bunch of other really great movies. Writers for this one, Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery, did Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Producers for this one are Gary Barber, Samuel Hadida, who died in 2018, Steve Perry, and Bill Unger. 
Barbara did Unbreakable, Hadida did Brotherhood of the Wolf, Perry did Rocky, and Unger did Crimson Tide. Music was done by Hans Zimmer, who did Gladiator and Inception. Cinematography was Jeffrey L. Kimball, who did Mission Impossible 2 and Star Trek Nemesis. Editor was Michael Tronick and Christian Wagner. Tronick did Scent of a Woman, hoo and Volcano. Wagner did Man on Fire and The Suicide Squad. Budget for this one was 12.5 million. Box office was 12.6 million. So just under not, the wire, just under the wire there, but did not did not do well in the theaters, but made up for it later on in life. Flick Metrics, which combines Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and Letterbox, gives this one a 73 percent, and Cinema Score gives it a B minus. Starring Christian Slater as Clarence Worley, he was in Heather's and Pump Up the Volume. Patricia Arquette as Alabama Whitman, she was in Medium and Severance. Dennis Hopper, who died in 2010, as Clifford Worley. He was in Blue Velvet and Speed. Val Kilmer as Mentor, who is actually the Elvis Presley character whose face you never see in this movie. But in the, in the credits, they mention him as Mentor. He was in Top Gun and Willow. Gary Oldman. I'm going to let this one out of the bag, too. Maybe my favorite character in this movie. Drexel Spivey. He was in Dracula and Batman Begins. Brad Pitt. Maybe my second favorite character in this movie, just, <laughs> just for how funny he is every time you see him. Played Floyd. He was in 12 Monkeys and Mis- Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Christopher Walken, maybe my other second favorite character in this movie, played Vincenzo. He was in Pulp Fiction and the TV show Severance. Bronson Pinchot played Elliot Blitzer. He was in Beverly Hills Cop and Risky Business. Samuel L. Jackson played Big Don. He was in Deep Blue Sea and Pulp Fiction. Michael Rappaport played Dick Ritchie. He was in Deep Blue Sea and Copland. And Saul Rubinek played Lee Donowitz. He was in Unforgiven and Wall Street. All right. I have got a handful of trivia things here, and I will... I will see if anybody else has got some trivia stuff they want to throw out as well. I'm sure, Dayton, you've got trivia about this movie that you want to share. So I will, I'll throw out one here because I kind of mentioned it a second ago, being one of my favorite characters. In a 2011 interview with the American Film Institute, Gary Oldman was asked to name his favorite role. He chose two of them. He chose Lee Harvey Oswald in JFK from 1991 and Drexel Spivey in this movie. Because it's fantastic. That's why. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, he was uh, he was cast on the description that you're a white guy that thinks you're black and you're a pimp, and he said, yes. "I'll do it." I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I and I think I think Tony Scott was it in an interview. He said, "Yeah, Tony came to me and he was trying to explain the story to me, and he was doing a terrible job." And Tony Scott just stopped and he's like, "Look, look, look, look. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to explain this to you." Basically, here's your character, and he told him exactly that. You know, right. your, your character is white. He thinks he's black, and he's a pimp. Oh well, then I'll do it. Right. (laughs) And he was fantastic. Fantastic. Very, very quickly, before we move on to any more trivia, we have had a a late entry in the race and and looking very dapper, I think, from your from your concert there in your in your suit. Oh, Uh, Mr. Patrick, Mr. Patrick Canigallo. Well, what do you mean, guys? I always dress up to podcast in a a suit. Yeah, always. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for letting me jump in late. Yeah, the concert just wrapped. I think, nice. you know, everybody except just me here in the facilities, people cleaning up the school. So it's great nice. to jump on the podcast. Dayton, it's great to meet you face to face. And I cannot wait to talk about this incredible movie. I was absolutely, I know we haven't even gotten into initial reactions, but I, I'm like, where has this movie been? I, I finished watching it for the first first time of many. Okay, I, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of my <laughs> Anyways. It's great to meet you. What a great movie. I can't wait to talk about it. What do you, what do you mean you the, the concert just finished? I mean, I feel like, didn't we get you a headset that you could have worn while you're up there conducting? <laughs> that That is going to be it before I retired. I am okay. going to podcast 
while directing while a concert. I, I exactly. think it's that's that's it. That's happening now. Maybe, maybe that's. Have, I, I don't want you to retire that early, but maybe that's an episode five hundred thing. You were, you heard it here first. <laughs> the question is, would Patrick mind an early retirement? Well, <laughs> that's that's a different story. Early early retirement is tomorrow. Okay, just there so you know, go. in my my thing, I might just I might just I might just put the letter on the boss's desk when I leave. <laughs> there you go. Oh, let's see what else. Oh yeah, this was kind of a fun one too, and and, and we have plenty of car guys here on the podcast. Tony Scott gave Patricia Arquette the purple Cadillac as a gift. After shooting wrapped as the Ford Futura she was driving at the time kept on breaking down. So yep. she she needed a car, she got a car, and she got that car. That's an awesome car to get as a gift. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Nice and pretty. Yeah. Yeah, this was actually this was part of the screenplay ended up was part of a longer one that was also became Natural Born Killers. Oh, really? Yeah, there was, oh. yeah, there was, it was, the whole thing was based on the, I think it was supposed to be a reporter. And so, yeah, it was, okay. it ended up being like something 400 pages long. So Tarantino and them broke it down into two separate stories. Okay. And so, yeah, it was, I read that and I was like, I kind of can see it, you yeah. know, cause Alabama was supposed to go on being a crook. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this, and, well yeah. sorry, this was actually uh, is part of the Tarantino universe. A couple of the characters like in Reservoir Dogs, uh, I think it was Mr. White mm-hmm. mentions working for Alabama. Mm-hmm. Yes. So and when I, I can't remember one of the characters names is dropped in another movie, too. So it was the Lee Donowitz character in this one said that he is supposed to be the grandson of Sergeant Donnie Donowitz from Inglorious. That's Bastards. right. Which is a fantastic movie, too. Yeah. Yeah. And and. and that is also that's been confirmed by Tarantino. It's like, oh yeah, that's so that's his relative. So, all part of the same, all part of the same universe. That would be the the Tarantino verse. Quentin Tarantino. Yes. So the QTCU is what that is, I think. Oi, yeah. <laughs> you know, a little alphabet soup there. But. Words. Mm, words are are tough. Yeah, and then the last one I have here, and then if anybody else has got more, feel free to throw them out there. The last one I have on here is, according to director Tony Scott, Val Kilmer had originally wanted to play the character of Clarence, and Kilmer spent eight hours in makeup being transformed into Elvis Presley. Fortunately, he only was required for two days of filming, and the reason they called him Mentor and not Elvis is because they didn't want to get sued by the Presley estate. Mm. Yeah, I don't like I don't like the term Mentor. I, I always called yeah. him his conscience. Yeah. There you, you go. Know. Because that's how I looked at him, yeah. you know, and the fact that you couldn't see his face and everything mm-hmm. was just a fantastic touch. And I know that was more done so they didn't get sued, but I think it works so very well. And I know Kilmer was happy with it, too. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So, so that's that's what I've got in terms of trivia. Does anybody else have anything else you found or anything of note? Well, I know there was a bunch of people that they were looking at to play the parts initially that I thought were kind of interesting. Yeah. Let me bring them back up because there was some really kind of out there people, especially like, isn't that one of the coolest things about movie trivia, like reading that part? Oh, yeah. And you start to think, what were they thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, let's see. Well, also the sunglasses that Christian Slater is wearing also come back up in Kill Bill Volume 1. Mm-hmm. Nice little thing. Let's see. Oh, yeah, where Chris Penn and Tom Sizemore interrogate Elliot, Bronson Pichot was improvised by all three actors. It was just them just riffing off each other. Nice. Fantastic. And also, pretty much everything Brad Pitt said was improvised. Yes. 
Sounds which about is, right. Yeah, but it was, it's so good. And the hat he's wearing in the kitchen, he bought while he was on location. I think in Santa Monica, he saw a vendor had it and he bought it so that he wore it, he wore it on the movie. So things, I just love little things like that. Yeah. And uh, Michael Rappaport actually has uh, gets motion sickness and a fear of roller coasters. So the scene shot on the roller coaster was actually over two days. And if you really kind of pay attention, his expressions are very different from some shots to the other because they actually drugged him on the second day. So he didn't get sick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just fun stuff like that. But yeah, if I remember right, uh, Jack Black is in here, but his scene got cut. I remember seeing that. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. One of the early choices for Alabama was Drew, Drew Barrymore. Hmm. I remember reading that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that works as well. Yeah, so not not quite. I think she's still. I don't know. I think there's a, there's a. It, it's almost like a, an innocence to her that is, because I when I look at Patricia Arquette's Alabama, like there is kind of an innocence to her, but there is also a, a dark side to her as well. And I'm not sure Drew Barrymore can pull off dark side. No, at well, least not it, not Drew Barrymore in 1993. No, no, she's still, still too not that far removed from me in that right. universe. Right. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. We'll see. I'm going to run through our synopsis. We'll give you the trailer. We'll do some major moments. What we do with the major moments is we kind of run down the, try to give you a little bit of a, a quick flyby of the plot. Just so if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while, you kind of have a rough idea of what's going on. And then we try to reserve our opinions and, and deeper thoughts for the, oddly enough, aptly named Deep Thoughts segment. So we'll get to that. So as we typically try to do in the style of the late, great Don LaFontaine, here is the synopsis for this one. In a world where passion and danger collide, a young couple named Clarence and Alabama find themselves caught up in a whirlwind of crime and chaos. With a suitcase full of drugs and a heart full of love, they embark on a wild journey to escape the clutches of a ruthless gangster and pursue their dreams of a better life. From the seedy underbelly of Detroit to the bright lights of Hollywood, true romance is a thrilling tale of love, loyalty, and the ultimate quest for freedom. Starring Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, this is a movie that will leave you breathless and begging for more. Get ready for the ride of your life. This is True Romance. From the director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Hello, baby! Clarence? I'm a married man, buddy. <laughs> a con man. Ask him if he got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? No con, tell him we gotta go. A call girl. You cop all day? Huh? Ah! I'm out of She a four-alarm fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing in L.A. anyway, huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I work as consul for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this wing and a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Are 60 cops. 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops! Put him down! Put him down! Put him down! Put him down! 
Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think what you did, I think what you did was so romantic. Not since Barney and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. True Romance. All right, so our major moments for this one. Running through these real quick. I've got 10 of them, but we're going to run through these pretty quickly just to kind of give you the rundown of the plot here. And if there's anything I miss, guys, feel free to just jump in here so that we can get everybody kind of a, a quick flyby of what's going on in this one. All right, we start off with this one. I'm calling this first one a night at the movies. We kind of learn, and, and, and I think... I think I could speak for the group here and say, for guys like us, I think we immediately gravitate to Clarence because he, he loves movies, loves kung fu movies. He works in a comic book store. I mean, it's like, it, it's it's the American dream, frankly, is what's going on here. So right away, I think we get a sense of we're, we're going to like this guy and we're, we're going to immediately. I think it was, I think it was almost autobiographical of the pod. <laughs> That's what we saw. That's what I was feeling. I mean, this is not necessarily how I met my wife, but I, I feel like a lot of the rest of it was autobiographical. <laughs> yeah, well, agreed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've lived this movie, so. Very quickly, he, he does meet, he meets Alabama, and they hit it off right away. They end up spending the night together and, and almost immediately fall in love. Major moment number two, I'm calling True Confessions, because she does jump in there pretty much right away afterwards and admit to him that she is a call girl and that she was bought for him on his birthday because his boss was kind of feeling bad for him and wanted to make sure he had a good birthday. But we immediately find out that they basically have fallen in love with each other. So major moment number three is love and marriage. They run off and they get married. And and it's funny, I, I love their, their, their wedding clothes that they were wearing. It's such a such a, a great getup for that. My wife and I were in downtown Chicago to go see Les Miserables a couple weekends ago, and we happened to walk past the uh, the Daily Plaza that's there in Chicago, and there must have just, I don't even know how many couples we walked past that were there to get married that weekend, but like it was like almost a steady stream. Every time we'd walk past on that street, there was a, a bride and a groom walking by, somebody taking their photos, and, and I'm like, all right, cool. This is, this is what I just saw in this movie. <laughs> number four, major moment number four, and this to me is probably, there's a lot of fun stuff in this movie, so I, I hate to even say it's, it's one of my favorite scenes, but it's kind of one of my favorite scenes because it introduces Drexel, uh, one of my favorite characters in this movie. So this one is Drexel's Place. And we kind of get immediately, well, there's a couple of examples here of, of Drexel's place. And the first one we get is Drexel kind of hanging out with a bunch of other guys. And the only other thing I'm going to say here is I'm starting to feel a little bad for Samuel Jackson because I'm, I'm going to call this, I'm going to use this as a verb and say he got deep blue seed in this one. <laughs> very quickly, mm -hmm. very quickly. He didn't get to eat this Chinese food. It, it was just like Deep Blue Sea. I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm watching this going, oh, Sam Jackson's in this too? That's, oh. <laughs> Never mind. Don't. <laughs> but, and, and that's kind of the thing with this movie is there are, as with, I think, so many other Tarantino movies, even if he's not directing it, it just, there is such a great cast of characters and such, and such a great cast to the point where, and and you know this this may 
fly into our opinions section a little bit later when we talk about our deep thoughts, but I'll start to mention it now and say there's a certain point at which I'm almost like, are the background characters even better than the lead characters? Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I like the two of them. I, I like Clarence in Alabama, but there's Drexel. There's Vincent. There's it. Huh. All right. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But. Yeah. So we get into, uh, here's here's another little bit of trivia here. When we get into Drexel's place, because Clarence, when he finds out, obviously he, he knows that his new bride used to be a call girl, and he finds out that she kind of just left a bunch of her stuff, you know, and, and hadn't had a chance to go back and get it, but she was worried about going back and getting it. He decides, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this. I'm going to go get her stuff, and I'm going to make sure that this guy never tries to bother her again. And so playing the tough guy routine, he goes and confronts Drexel. And, of course, we know from that first scene where Drexel basically gunned down when you absolutely positively must kill every last person in the room, Drexel does. So we know leading into this scene that Drexel's got some Drexel's got some interesting words written on his wallet because that's exactly <laughs> what he is. And, and we know that, even if Clarence doesn't know that. So I think immediately as the audience, we're like, ooh, no, 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 buddy, you are... You, you think you might be able to get by with this tough guy routine. This is not going to work in your favor. Just you got to be real careful. He can he will gun you down without a second thought. But such a fun scene. And, and just the, the, the background that I heard on this, I think it was an interview with Tarantino. And he was talking about how much fun it was to be a writer that then gave his script to Tony Scott. And he said, when I wrote this script, it was Drexel's play. It was supposed to be like Drexel's home. And there wasn't anything real special about it. Like the scene was more about the dialogue and it was more about the characters and everything else. He's like, but then I gave that to Tony Scott and Tony Scott made this absolutely insane. Quentin Tarantino was like, I don't even know what this place is. Is this his home? Is this a club? Is this a brothel? Is this a, like, I, I don't even know. He said, based on the colors and the decor and the fact that there's like 30 other people hanging around, he's like, I have no clue what this place is but it's colorful and it's crazy. And he's like, that's the thing I loved about working with Tony Scott was he'll take a script and he'll like take a scene that, that looks on pay on paper is there's some stuff going on here, but he'll just completely blow the whole thing up and, and make it like the craziest scenery, the craziest setting. And he commented on how one of his favorite things was that ridiculous hanging lamp. <laughs> like it, it, who's yeah. in, in whose idea of, you know, room decor would you have that big of a lamp hanging from that long of a chain in the middle of a room? It's very sixties, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. And I love the wall of fish tanks. Yes. Yeah. They're like, like half a, like half a dozen or more than half a dozen fish tanks all over the place. Well, you know, they put them there just so they can smash them. That was the whole reason oh, they yeah. put those in there. Yeah. <laughs> no other reason. <laughs> it's like a glass table in Star Trek, the next generation. That's what it's there for. <laughs> yeah. All right, so after, and, and this, this scene was kind of nerve-wracking, too, because you knew already that Clarence is in danger. I mean, he's, the, the guy works at a comic book store. Now, for as many times as I've been brave enough to face down gangsters and drug dealers and things like that, him walking into the situation, I'm like, dude, this is not, this is not the life, you know, you merely adopted the darkness, but Drexel was born in it. So I think you need to be careful here, buddy. And But he walks right into the place. And then when, when Drexel gets the jump on him and just starts beating him mercilessly, you're almost to the point where you're like, okay, well, I don't think this is a short film, but I don't I can't imagine he's going to get out of this one 
unscathed and and then he ends up turning the tables on him and ends up shooting Drexel and but I mean that was this scene I think there were at least three scenes in the movie where like my tension level was about as high as it could possibly get it was this one it was the scene with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper because because you knew something was going to go down and then it was the scene where, what's his name? Was it Virgil comes in and finds Alabama and just starts beating her up. Like those three yeah. scenes in particular, those are the ones that were kind of hard to watch. Like this one was hard to watch because I was like, ooh, dude, you, you've just, you've walked into the lion's den. You, you're you're going to die here if you're not careful. The scene with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper is just like, it's it's two guys just two amazing actors just staring each other down and something's going to happen that's not good by the end of this. And then the one with with Virgil and Alabama, and he's just beating on her, is just, it's just tough to watch. Yeah, the the one with Alabama and Virgil that was actually, theatrically it was cut right. because it was, they thought it was too much. Now, it wasn't the violence against her. It was her reaction when she actually got the upper hand and killed him, her okay you know, shaking the gun and the animalistic attitude, they thought that was too much. So that part of that was edited out for the original theatrical release. And I, I, I am happy to say that I have the unrated director's cut and put my possession. So that's what I get to watch. There you go. Nice. (laughs) Well, the version, was that the version that we watched as well, John? Because I, I want to, or was there some stuff that we didn't see? I'm, I'm trying to remember which version we watched. I think it might've been. Yeah, yeah, I think I now think so. pretty much was what's yeah. available. But I, yeah, I think that's the one we watched because I I remember that scene, so I think that was the one we ended up watching. Yeah, yeah, because here you describe it sounds like what I you know yeah. what I remember watching. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I will say is as a as a University of Texas fan, it was a lot of fun to see Alabama get beaten. Oh, jeez. <laughs> You know, he can't help himself, folks. It's just in his blood. Just if, if, if nothing else but to stop them from ever saying roll tide ever again. You know? <laughs> yes. Anyway, moving I on. Can, <laughs> I can feel the fan mail coming in now. <laughs> I can feel it, all right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's all right. Major moment number five. They are now on the run because he brings the, uh, he brings the bag back, and it's, it's not Alabama's stuff. It's a lot of cocaine. Like a lot, like, a lot of like cocaine. A, like it's, <laughs> it's like it's like Scarface there's, levels of cocaine. <laughs> there's a lot of cocaine. There's a lot, a lot of cocaine, and then there's this amount. Of cocaine. <laughs> this this is, is excessive amounts of cocaine. So you want to talk about excessive amounts of cocaine? I went with, and I don't know why I have a story about this. Holy <laughs> crap! Where is this speaking, going? Speaking, <laughs> speaking of excessive amounts of cocaine. Unexpected um, turn. Hey, we, we do what we can here on the 30-something movie podcast. No, I went with uh, my sister wanted to go see Cocaine Bear. Ah. And, and so they had just opened up because she used to live. We're originally from Texas, and she used to live down in Austin. You don't and say. She, yeah. Howdy. Um and she loved the Alamo Draft House theaters, and they are great theaters. I, I always love going there every chance I get, and and partly because I love the weird, quirky stuff that they show as like the pre-show reel. And so they just opened one up in Wrigleyville in Chicago like two weeks ago, and she's like, first of all, we have to go. Second of all, I want to see Cocaine Bear. Third of all, I don't know anybody else that would be willing to go see Cocaine Bear with me. 
So I'll buy your ticket if you'll come with me to the Alamo Draft House to see Cocaine Bear. So we did. And, of course, during the pre-show reel, they are showing, like, the anti-drug commercials from the 80s. <laughs> they are showing the it's, – it's a combination of movie clips and commercials related to bears – Cocaine beats Battlestar Galactica. Bears beats and get Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Bears and cocaine. So you had the anti-drug commercials from the 80s. You had Smokey the Bear commercials from the 80s and 90s. And then they did these weird clips of movies and TV shows in which a lot of cocaine was was ingested in different ways. And these really weird clips of these like some may have been like Indian films or Malaysian films or whatever, where there was a guy kung fu fighting somebody in a bear suit. Okay. <laughs> and they were absolutely insane. <laughs> and so much fun to watch. I'm so jealous right now. But there was one there was one clip in particular and I, and I was going to look up and see maybe where it was from and it was this clip of this this guy like this really like high-powered businessman and he's sitting in his office and these two guys walk in with this briefcase. And they put it down on the desk, and he opens it up, and there's a, a packet of cocaine there. And he cuts it open, and all of a sudden, the the cocaine just starts gushing out of this bag. Just ridiculous. It's like the blood from Evil Dead 2. It's just everything <laughs> is just gushing out. And, and this guy, it's you almost feel like there's going to be a, a Raiders of the Lost Ark face melt because of all the cocaine that's coming out of here, and the, everybody's, like, choking and whatever. Then it kind of fades and it cuts to the next day and the cleaning lady comes and she opens up the office and opens up the door. The room is covered in mountains of cocaine and there's three skeletons in the middle of the room. And then there's, then there's some voiceover that says something about, well, they didn't know what the dangers of drugs were going to do. And it was some TV show that was some kind of anti-drug thing, but like... That, Saturday, that's awesome. Uh, I, Saturday morning special. I want to. I want to find that. I want to do a double feature with that and the the boy who learned to read. <laughs> uh, so they are on the run because they have all these drugs now. They're on the run, so they go visit Clarence's dad, Clifford. I think his name was a retired policeman, as Dennis Hopper is so fond of playing, and they they go visit him. They kind of give him the the lowdown on what's going on. And he kind of gives him his blessing, and and they go off towards Hollywood. Well, in the meantime, Vincent, Vincent Cocotti, did I say that right? Was it Cocotti? He was. Cocotti. I think so. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah, sounds um, good to me. Which is which is Christopher Walken, and anytime I know that there's there's a whether it's written or directed by Quentin Tarantino, and Christopher Walken is going to show up in this, I know it's going to be a fun fun monologue. Just thinking about an uncomfortable hunk of metal. I, I was. It was like, yikes. I don't know where this conversation is going to go, but I had this uncomfortable bag of cocaine. And I hid it for five years. Five years. Um, and now I give it to you, little man. So, yeah, no, this, and, I, and I love this scene. This, this is such a great scene with the two of them facing off against each other. And it, it is not one that we're going to play any quotes of here on the show <laughs> and, and not one that I will quote at all. But uh, classic Quentin Tarantino dialogue here. Well, he actually overheard that story from somebody he lived with and that's, he couldn't. And so he was excited to be able to put that in the movie. Yeah. I remember reading about that. I was like, you live around some interesting people. <laughs> yes. Something tells me he has, I'm yeah. just going to say it. Yeah. He's how the influences that work. Well, I don't think you become a great writer by not living around interesting people. 
I feel, like if, I feel like if you live around boring people, you're not probably not going to become a great writer, or at least the deck is stacked, mm-hmm. stacked against you. So the rest of the movie kind of becomes an exercise in trying to offload these drugs and get rid of them somehow. And they try to get this, they try to get this deal done between, you know, Elliot Blitzer is Bronson Pinchot's character, and he is he's trying to help the deal get done with his boss. And uh, was it Lee Donowitz, I think was his last name? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they're trying to get this deal done, and there, there's all this negotiating kind of back and forth. In the meantime, the the mob is kind of tracking them down, trying to find them. And Virgil, this is the scene I was talking about earlier, Virgil, played by James Gandolfini, the late James Gandolfini, shows up, and he is, having watched The Sopranos and having seen him in, in so many other different things, he can be so creepy when he wants to. Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah. And like I said before, this was a very tough scene to watch, you know, just just in in how he just throws her around the room, and it's just it's it's very difficult to watch. So I was was very happy when she got the other the upper hand later, but she goes to then smash stuff over his head, and it, at first it doesn't seem to phase him, and I'm like, yikes. This is going to get even rougher. But, but yeah, yeah, proving proving that she's the toughest one in this movie, getting the upper hand on a mob yes. enforcer and coming away. Right. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. A, a more yeah. than likely coked up mob enforcer, realistically, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the next one I'm calling The Deal Goes Down and Then Downhill. So we have Elliot is mic'd up, and uh, he's going to go into this deal and is supposed to implicate his boss in this big drug deal. There was a funny scene. I did skip over this one part. There was a funny scene where he's in the car with a lady friend, and she ends up, like, they're fighting over one of the packages of cocaine, and it ends up, like, getting all over his face just as the cop, he's trying to get her to hide it, and it ends up all over his face just as the cop walks up to the car. I half expected the line, they're a problem, officer? (laughs) That was pretty funny. Yeah. That was a pretty funny scene, I'm just saying. And then we get the perfect storm of everybody coming together at the end for a, a, a big, giant musical number, and the and uh, there's no singing involved, though. Although Elliot, he starts to sing a bit, but that's a different kind of singing. And this deal goes downhill very, very quickly, and this will get to our one of our three questions later on, but we get a, a, a beautiful Mexican standoff occurring here at the end of the movie, and... and Bullets blazing all over the place, and you you think some of your characters are dead, but they're not quite dead yet. They're feeling much better, and as this all ends up happening, they they're they're wounded, but they're able to get out, and ultimately they are able to escape to I believe they escape down to Mexico, and then we see at the end of the movie that Alabama has given birth to a child whom they have named Elvis. Of course, of course, and that is where we. Fade to black, roll credits. So are there any, before we get into deep thoughts, are there any other moments that I missed or anything else you want to comment on? Can I just ask a quick question? Yeah, go for it. Alabama, according to the Quentin Tarantino official monologue, dialogue, whatever, in the Quentin Tarantino verse, she continues a life of crime? Is that what, or... Initially, yes, because Clarence was supposed to die and she was supposed to go on as a a crook. So that was initially how it was written. And and Tony Scott grew to like the characters too much, so he changed it and let him live. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Interesting, because it seemed like it was a happily ever after at the end of it. And so I was just wondering if there was, but no, that was kind of like an, an alternative type of reality. 
Well, and that's the difference between Tony Scott directing a movie and Tarantino directing his own movie. So you have Tarantino would have killed them both off and Scott liked him. So he kept him alive. So that's, that's, and even Tarantino said it's his movie. He made it his own and I'm happy with how it turned out. But he even said, if, if it was me directing it, I would have killed them both. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. I tend to be a happy ending guy. So I kind of, I kind of like the way this one ended. No, I do too. Very much so. Interesting. Okay. Well, I just, I just had a clarifying question about that. So that's all. All right. Anything else we, anybody wants to throw out there before we go into thinking a little deeper about this one? Good to go. All right. Let's go a little deeper now. And now, deep thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's very deep. Thank you. All right. So I don't even know if I'm going to ask the, the silly question of, do you like this movie? I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion. When was the first time you saw this one? I was actually lucky enough to see it the first time it hit video. I didn't see it in the theater, but at the time, my friend, oldest friend in the world, Chris, he was working at a movie theater and he was like, you have to see this movie. So he told me about it. I watched it and he was actually the one that gave me a laser disc copied onto VHS version of the director's cut back in the early, probably 94 or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was the first time, and I've been a fan ever since. I think I've owned it three times. So okay. nice. What about Bo Pat? Was this the first time you'd seen this one? First time I saw it, and I nice. honestly wish I could tell you how I missed it before. Like yeah. this, this was amazing, <laughs> and I feel like I've lost years of enjoying this movie. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to, I'll tell you though, I agree with you, Bo, but I'm going to make up for it because I think I'm just going to watch this thing like every month for yeah. the foreseeable future because my gosh, my word, yeah. it, holy buckets, this is amazing. I usually watch it at least once a year. Okay. It's right up there with LA Confidential. I have to watch at least once a year. There you yeah. go. Yeah, I don't, same for me. I don't know how I missed this one because I remember after, after my gateway was Pulp Fiction. And after Pulp Fiction, I kind of went on a whole streak of I need to see, I need to now see everything that I can get my hands on. And that was a few years after Pulp Fiction had come out. I think I saw it, when I see that for the first time, it might have been 96 or 97 that I saw that. And I very quickly was like, okay, then we got to go Reservoir Dogs. We got to, okay, let's just keep going. And so I, I remember tracking down as much as I could find. And I wonder if at the time it was just because he wasn't the director of this one, or it might have been harder to find at that point. But yeah, I, I for some reason this one never came across my radar. And then when we got around to when we got around to like making the list of movies we were going to look at this year, I spotted it and I was like, huh. Well, based on the synopsis, based on the director, the writer, the cast, that I have to throw this one in. Like I know it didn't it didn't do well in the box office, but. Like in terms of everything I'm reading about it now and, and the people all involved in it, it's like this has got to go on the list. And I don't know how I missed this. So same for me. Like the the first time I watched this was within the last week. And I, I think similarly, it is one that's going to get watched regularly. It'll, it'll get repeat viewings for me too. It was so much fun. So with this one, and, and Dayton, this is this is probably more of a question for you since you've seen it more often and, and over a longer period of time. What is it for you that makes this movie so memorable? Like, what is it that works for you with this movie? 
Well, obviously, when I was younger, the the violence, the the dialogue, the the soundtrack was all stuff that really caught my attention. But as I've gotten older, I noticed more things like how they said earlier that Alabama's the toughest person in the movie. Not only does she defeat the mob enforcer, but she also gets her half blind husband out of the hotel, down to the car and drives him across the border to Mexico, basically saves his life. And I think that's fantastic. And a movie with all these guys in it, that a woman is the toughest person on the screen. I think that's great. Also, the use of so many talented actors, and they're not wasted. They might only be on the screen for a few minutes, but every second they're on the screen, it's it's fantastic. And it's hard to do that sometimes with a, a large cast. And Tony Scott made sure everybody had a moment to shine. And that's just, it's one of the things you watch back and you're like, is that really Brad Pitt stoned on a sofa? I mean, this is before he was Brad Pitt, so it's fantastic. And you have Val Kilmer, you can't even see his face. And it's wonderful. There's little things like that. And then when you realize that the two people that Clarence loves, you know, his dad and his and his wife, even though they're being tortured, they don't give him up. Even though his dad and him don't have a good relationship, his dad still doesn't turn on him and tell him where they went. Right. You know, that's that's that subtlety that you don't catch the first couple of times through. And you realize later that it is about love. The movie really is about the relationships because everybody likes Clarence. Everybody does. Even the cops, when they're trying to bust him, man, I like this guy, Clarence. He's a wild man. It's like everybody right. likes Clarence, yeah. you know, and uh, it's like he channels all those kung fu movies and all the comic books he read because he's a he's a he's a kind of a quiet guy. But yet everything he's read, all the movies he's watched, he's using all that to make this deal and to stand up to Drexel. And he's, he's channeling all that stuff, all that pop culture that he's ingested. And it makes him a fun character to watch. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And boy, I'm so glad you mentioned that scene where his dad never turns on him. And I got to go back and, and I just, I don't want to suck up all the, the airspace here, but I finished watching the movie at about three o'clock this morning. First watch, first of many. And at 3.03 a.m., I had the soundtrack on compact disc, because I'm old school, on my way from on the way from Amazon. I, I think it's an amazing soundtrack. And that the Hans Zimmer, that I, I think it's like a xylophone that, that, that yes. my gosh, like I could I could just listen to that in so many it is such the theme just gets up inside of you. It is amazing and just sums up this movie so perfectly. And I want to go back and hear if they're playing it when when his dad kind of jumps into the story and you realize, like, the dad just realizes he's not getting out of it alive, but he's not turning his son in. You know, and it's like one of those, maybe there were failures on different levels there with the family, the heck, but the dad didn't turn on him. And I, I just thought that was just an amazing scene. Yeah, so I just talked about, like, three things. But, yeah, an amazing soundtrack. That theme like that theme gets me like I could listen to that theme just for hours. I could just listen to that three minute theme. And that scene that you just talked, spoke of, I, I agree. It was, it was so incredible that the dad did not turn on him. Yeah. It's a neat thing in the, the DVD set I have next to the, the index of the chapters. It actually has the title of the song that's being played, the pop song mm -hmm. that's on. So that's kind of cool. But I did read that the song from Aerosmith initially in test audiences was put in there by the sound sound guy. And it has such positive response. They left it in because it was supposed to be just a test song that they had there for early cuts. And so they left that in, but the rest of it was put in by the director. So, but yeah. That was pretty much it. I, I Initially, I thought it was Tarantino because Tarantino is really into his soundtracks. Mm -hmm. But no, this was all Tony Scott's choices. So I think he did a fantastic job. 
Yeah. And Pat, it's okay to have CDs. I still buy CDs and vinyl and trust me, physical yeah. media is my thing. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Like I, 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 I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of doing like the weird thing of like the iPod was like the perfect creation and then time marched on, but whatever. <laughs> but I mean, that's like, I get all the CDs, I keep them stored. And then I just put, I, I digitize it, get it on the computer and put it on an MP3 player. But I still like having my CDs and I'm, people are like, dude, like, I'm getting on a rant, but people tell me I should buy, like I pay, pay for like one of the platforms. And I'm just like, no, I like my collection. I've been curating my collection since cassette tapes, since laser discs, since mini discs, since CDs, since vinyls, it, it's my collection. And okay. So I'm getting on a rant, but yeah, I'm glad to hear, I, I'm glad to hear kindred spirit because I still get excited for the CD, the liner notes, the smell. I, oh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I actually yeah. have a portable CD player in my car so I can listen to CDs when I don't want to stream stuff. That's, that's outstanding. And the best part was I was in the car and I was playing a couple and my son goes, my son who's 13 goes, wait a minute, you just put the disc in and it plays. He goes, that's incredible. He says, why don't we do that more? I mean, it's such a waste. Of, it's so distracting to have to go to your phone and it's it, dangerous to drive. You should just, they should just do that where everyone just carries a disc and puts in the music they want to listen to. They should they just go, do that. And now I know which jeans ended up you got. Now I know which jeans you got from me. Okay, there we go. That's outstanding. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty good. So, anyways, I digress. But I yeah, like wow soundtrack, wow. I, I can't like I can't even focus my thoughts on this movie. It just there's movies that come along at the right time in someone's life, and this movie and that theme by Hans Zimmer, and it, it this was amazing. Is there anything, I, I don't want this to be what we end on, so I'm going to ask this now, and then we can we can continue on. Is there anything about this movie that does not work for you? Is there anything you would take out of the movie? Is there anything that takes something too far, doesn't take it far enough? I mean, I think we talked about the, the scene where she got beat on mm -hmm. that maybe took it too far, but at the same time, you're developing character by doing that too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid if you minimize the damage she takes that her victory seems less. And that's always been a kind of internal conflict I've had. Because like I said, it, it, you, you're right, it's hard to watch. Yeah. You know, even when she goes through the shower door, but then she starts laughing at him because he looks ridiculous and rubs the soap in his eyes and then sets him on fire with the hairspray <laughs> and the lighter. I mean, she's, she's using a corkscrew and a bust of Elvis, anything she can do to beat this guy. And I just think that is, I wish I was that tough. I'm just, I'm just saying, I wish I was that resourceful, you know, but uh, you know, I've watched this so many times and I've never once skipped a scene. I've never gone. Yeah. I don't like that or whatever. It's just, I think the, it's not perfect. I mean, but at the same time, I don't, I don't skip anything. I think it's just, it's all, it's all there for a purpose. Yeah, I couldn't think of anything myself that I would, as as with most Tarantino movies, I, there's nothing I would really remove from this. Everything has its everything has its place, and everything has a purpose. And there's no there's really no wasted moments in this movie. No, it moves pretty well considering the length and the, how many different characters there are in here. Yeah, indeed. So if you if you don't mind, I want to talk about the shootout at the end. Yeah, go for it. I know it's going to be part of the three questions, but yeah. it's such a wonderful scene. So there's two things I want to mention. Number one, one of Donowitz's security guys, if if you ever watched the Disney Channel show, Good Luck Charlie, the guy with the ponytail is the dad from Good Luck Charlie. 
And so I told my daughter that that kind of ruined it for her. So, but she's like, thanks for ruining that show, dad. I'm like, eh, you're welcome. But no, it's, it's such a great standoff scene. You got the quote unquote innocent people in the middle. You got two groups on the other side. And apparently Tony Scott liked it so much. He reused it and repurposed it for the Will Smith movie, Enemy of the State. Even oh. with Tom Sizemore in it. This time it's inside a, oh, a kitchen yeah. at a restaurant owned by the mob. And you have Tom Sizemore, instead of he's a cop, he, now he's the mob enforcer. You got the FBI on one side and and Will Smith there and right in the middle. So it's it's pretty much yes. the exact same scene, oh, uh, just in that. a smaller space. Oh, that is so cool. I didn't think about that. But still, it's still impactful. I know it's a re I know it's a repurpose, but I still like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. No, it's a great. I I love a good standoff like that. Oh yeah. Especially when Bronson Pinchot starts talking to the cop. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just so funny. Like, can I leave now? <laughs> it's just hilarious. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's maybe we said it already, but I mean, incredible writing, incredible, act, but just incredible casting. I mean, it's like you got the characters like where they can just do the most where they can all do the most. I, I didn't really just, I don't know what the cliches, but the movie was just firing on all cylinders, you know? Yeah. Is there, so I, I, I do want to ask this because we've talked about the cast of characters and the, the supporting characters in this. And I kind of started to comment on it a little bit earlier. There was a moment and I was watching this. I was like, I, if I, if I was going to ask the question, who's your favorite character in this movie I had to think about it because I'm like, a lot of times you tend to gravitate towards, especially, you know, in a in Tarantino movie, I, I do tend to gravitate towards one of the main characters. But in this movie, there are such great supporting characters, even if they're only in this thing for a handful of minutes or, or 10 minutes. I think the I think Drexel is in this for maybe five or six minutes. You know, Sam Jackson's in this for like 60 seconds. You've got Christopher Walken's in this for probably about 10 minutes or so. Dennis Hopper's character. All these characters that are not in this movie for very long. And I'm like, you know what? If you ask me which one was my favorite, I think I'm going to go with one of those. And that's not diminishing Christian Slater or Patricia Arquette at all in their performances. Right. But I I think, as with a lot of other Tarantino movies, these these supporting characters are are so quirky and so interesting that I've, I've got to gravitate towards one of those. So I think, I think with this one, I got to go with Drexel. Well, you can't fault. I, I consider Gary Oldman to probably be the greatest actor in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyway, then go playing Lee Harvey Oswald to Dracula to Beethoven, yeah. you know, a crooked DEA agent in the professional mm -hmm. to just, he can do everything. I mean, even in the Harry Potter universe, he was spectacular as Sirius Black. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he could do no wrong. So yeah, I I agreed. He's he makes the most of his ten minutes on the screen if it's that, and he looks fantastic with the dreadlocks and the scars on his face. I mean, he just he owned those scenes. So no, I I could I would agree. He probably he's he's on screen seven eight minutes, but he it's he's fantastic. Yeah, and he makes the most of. Every second of those seven or eight minutes. <laughs> and what's so funny is it's it's so very, some of these characters are so very Tarantino because I I picture you could take, I could imagine this is part of a, a shared Quentin Tarantino universe. You could take any of these characters and you could drop them into any of his other movies. I could totally see Drexel or Vincent or, or somebody showing up in, 
Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs or any of the other movies. And uh, it's just, it, it's so, it's just so much fun. His characters are just so much fun. Yeah, it's, I call this my favorite Tarantino movie that he didn't direct. Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not a Pulp Fiction fan. I, and I think that's partially because I'd seen his movies in order. So okay. when I got to Pulp Fiction, it was nothing new for me. Sure. But I think later, like his later stuff, especially Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, and then Inglorious Bastards, he's he's fantastic. But out of all of his movies, this is the one I always come back to and have to rewatch multiple mm-hmm. times. Yeah. So. What about you, Bo or Pat? Do you guys have a favorite character? I knew this question would come, John. I knew this question would come. I, I don't, boy, I don't know. I, I, Bo, I'm cutting across you, man. Why don't you, no, uh, no. Why don't you go for No, no, you, you jumped in. Go for it. Oh, God bless it all. Great. You know what? I, I, I might really, I might say Alabama. I mean, just like you mentioned, she was the strength there. I mean, you like the Christian Slater character. You know, like there there were just, they all had their moments. I'll tell you, okay, so I'm just going to dodge the question, John. I'm just going to say I really liked, I honestly liked their relationship. I mean, I, you, you guys know from the podcast, I don't necessarily get excited for rom-coms and all that, which I don't know that this could be considered a rom-com, but I mean, like uh, maybe it could, I don't know. But I don't necessarily go in for like all romance kind of thing. But I <laughs> something like about this, it just seemed so genuine. Like I was sitting there, I had no idea what this was about. Like I didn't even read the synopsis. Like I'm like, okay, true romance. I saw the cover. I'm like, okay, and just whatever. And so I I had I knew nothing about this. And just at the start, I'm like, oh wow. Like it. It, it, like they cared for each other and it just seemed so genuine as outlandish and as far fetched and as crazy as the story was, it just seemed so genuine. And I was, I was just taken with their relationship. And so I, I don't know if I could pick a favorite actor. I, if I had to pick one, it would or favorite actor, a favorite character. It would have to be Alabama, but I really dug their relationship. I thought that was amazing. Well, they saved each other. I mean, she, yeah. he saved her from being a call girl and she saved his life at the end of the movie. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's one of those. It's so people go, well, they fell in love so quick. I said, so like you, like that's never happened in real life. I mean, I married my right. wife after only knowing her like six months. So it's not like you can't, it's not really the same thing, but it's close enough. So yeah. it's, you can, yeah, it, it, I totally agree. The relationship is everything about this movie. It's what drives the story. Yeah, like I find myself saying, I wonder if my wife would love this movie. And again, like she might, well, I know she'll get sucked into it. I don't know if she, I don't know. But the thing that gets me is just seeing that relationship. I'm just like, dang, it just, it was just so refreshing. It was just, it just seemed so real. You know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't have more words to describe it. So I, I think, I think what you just said was probably a lot more eloquent than I, I can muster if I rambled for the next hour. But yeah, so in answer to your question, if I have to pick one, I'd say Alabama, but their relationship between the two of them was amazing. Well, and it's it's not the it's not the like cookie cutter relationships you get in other movies. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It is right. it is unique. It is different. It's the part where and, and I kind of when it got to that scene, I saw it coming, but for a minute I thought she was gonna be upset with him because that's what I'm used to seeing in movies, was after he kills Drexel and comes back and tells her what he did and she starts to get all emotional about it. 
you know, my my American movie watching brain goes, oh, she's going to be really upset with him now that he went and did all that. But then she's getting emotional because it's the most romantic thing anybody's ever done for her. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, there we go. I had the same thought and I was like, wow, movies have messed me up (laughs) that I would go straight there. I was like, oh, man, this is not going to be good. Yeah. yeah. I two two things I was thinking of Pat while you were talking. I think it would actually be a rom crime. Would, okay. would probably be the right ah, genre for this go. one instead of a rom-com. And the whole time you were talking, I I do want to I do want to clarify. I did have my finger over the Pat just rejected your question button. I was so. hoping <laughs> I was waiting for that. At least would acknowledge it. <laughs> I, I I did, but did I reject? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if I you literally it. said I'm going to sidestep your question. <laughs> you did. So I let me let me modify it and say Pat just sidestepped my question. <laughs> Pat just no, rejected your question. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I hit it right in plain sight. You did. I hit it you right did. in plain sight. Man, I want like seriously, and 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 I, I, I and I'm like I said, I'm on my new crusade of being an anti young yucker. I want anybody that like gets tired of the grind and oh, all the movies are the same and all this kind of thing, and, and which I don't subscribe to because like you know I watch the MCU, I watch Star Wars, I love it all. It's all good to me. Like more movies, more better, more fun and all. But anybody that wants something truly unique, like honestly, watch this movie. And this is and and this is why not every movie can be truly unique because then it wouldn't be truly unique. I mean, this movie was just I, I really it, it just was so well crafted, well done, and you couldn't look away. Like you couldn't be not interested. And I don't mean by look away like it's not like it's not like, oh man, I just gotta keep watching to see what the heck they're gonna do next. It was like I am engrossed in this movie. Like I'm going to put down what I'm doing. Like I'm, I need to watch this movie and please go watch this. Obviously, depending on you, you got to know your audience and it's definitely R rated for a reason and all that yes. kind of thing. Yes, but it, I is. Mean, it is, it is, it is truly a unique thing. And I, I really, yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty awesome. So. And I, I just want to respond to something you said about people who said that everything, you know, is the same or whatever. And to those people that are always complaining, well, they're just doing another remake. It's just another sequel. I'm like, yep, but yet you're going to go buy a ticket to it, aren't you? So, right. and I, I don't blame the studios for making, re, for doing sequels and remakes because people still buy the tickets. My thing mm-hmm. is I say, I'll list off 10 movies and ask them if they've seen them. And most of the time they say no. I said, well, then you're not doing your part to find the the different movies, the smaller films and mm-hmm. things like that. And so it's, yeah, the big tickets are what people goes to see, but there's other movies out there. You just have to spend a little bit of time to look for them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well so I'll said, get down man. up my well soapbox said. now. <laughs> Pat, I, based on this movie, I, I might, I don't want to get rid of the Pat just rejected your question sound drop that we've got there, but based on okay. this movie, I, I think I might have another one that I might use oh. interchangeably with oh. that one. You, you oh. want to take a guess at what it is? Pat just sidestepped your question? No, no, no. I like I'm gonna take a quote directly from this movie. Oh. There's something there's something not right in the what was the quote from Hamlet? It was it Hamlet? Something is not something right. Something rotten in, in, the, the, in the state, the state of, Denmark. of Denmark. No, it's not yeah. that. Good idea which, though. Which on a tangent, I found it interesting that that came up twice. And I wanna like 
was that just coincidence, you know, or did they just do it just so people go, huh? Well, that's interesting. No. Yeah, um, they did use it a lot, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. John, I don't know. What would what would the quote be? Well, seeing as how, and you've, you've stated this before, that this is my podcast. And basically, yeah. by rejecting my question, you are assaulting me in my place of business and thinking you can get away with it. <laughs> so I think my new sound drop is going to be, Pat must have thought it was White Boy Day. It ain't White Boy Day, is it? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh jeez, oh jeez! Oh, fantastic! And and I, Pat, I don't. Want Pat to... just thought it was White Boy Day. Bum, bum, <laughs> I I just have to be honest too. When I first saw that scene, boy, I don't. I please, like I don't mean anything against any. I didn't know what to think. Like I was sitting there, I'm like, normally I know what to think with movies. I hate that. I love that. Okay, that's just not my thing. Because I said I'm not going to be a yum yucker. Like. I was watching that scene and I was watching Gary Oldman do his thing. And at first I wasn't, I was kind of like looking at something else. And I'm like, Oh my God, is that serious black? It is serious black. Wait, what? And then I was, I was watching that scene and I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know what the, like when you were describing how they weren't even sure what the setting was even supposed to be mm-hmm. like, that's how I felt. I'm like, I, I like, what is going on right now? Well, I kind of know what's going on, but yeah, I, that was an incredible scene. I, I'm just going to say like, yeah. <laughs> so it's funny you bring up that scene because I was, you talk about bonkers, man. That thing, that was over the top. That was, that was crazy in a good way. Here's I, the, know, I loved it. So here's, here's the, and so maybe this, maybe this would be a good question for us. And I will, we'll get into our three questions here in just a few minutes, but maybe this would be a good question. Knowing that this is part of a, that Tarantino has said, this is part of his cinematic universe, if you will. Is there a crossover between two Tarantino characters that you would like to see, like if you could see a scene of a character, maybe from this movie and then one from another one of his movies, have a conversation or a scene with each other. I'm kind of picturing, because they both seem to have a very similar livelihood, I'm picturing that that we got to have Drexel and Lance from Pulp Fiction together. <laughs> and if you, if you want to complete the trifecta, I'll take, uh, because I was listening to our favorite Star Trek podcast, uh, The Greatest Generation, you could take Lance, you could take Drexel, and you could take Ginger Jesus from Star <laughs> Trek The Next Generation and just have them all in a scene together, and I think that would be fun. Jeez. But no, I, I, think, a, I think a scene with Gary Oldman and Eric Stoltz and their two characters together, that I think that could be a fun interaction. And somehow find out how Lance gets through that without getting shot. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What character? Like, are you talking to me on a mobile phone? Wrong, <laughs> wrong number. Wrong number. Hang up. <laughs> Don't ever call me again, <laughs> especially on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. What two characters? If you could take somebody from this movie and mash him up with a character from another Tarantino film, and have them have a scene together, who 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 would you pick? I would want to put. And I would want to put them in a room and let them have a conversation. The two Christopher Walkins. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of thinking that one too. Yeah. Just, just go, just talk. I just want to see. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I want to see Gary Oldman and Ving Rhames have a discussion. Oh yeah. I was that, thinking of that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be just spectacular. Yeah. Two, two black men just having a conversation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, does does um, he does he look like a does he look like a white boy? 
<laughs> Jules, yeah, I, I think Jules, yeah. Jules was such a cool character oh, yeah. in Pulp Fiction. It would have been fun to see him in this. It would have been fun to see him in this. And I, I'm not at like at any at any point. And like honestly, I almost feel like just even the way Jules signed off in Pulp Fiction. You guys tell me if I'm wrong. I'm a happy ending guy. I can see Jules helping him out. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of not super realistic. But yeah, I I I think the Samuel L. Jackson character in Pulp Fiction was pretty amazing. Yeah. Although I'm I'm just gonna say. Okay, like Dust Till Dawn. I, I know people had different opinions of that. I love Dust Till Dawn. I can totally see them on the run and ending up at the at the bar, right? <laughs> like I can I can so I can see adding adding Alabama and oh, shoot, what was his Clarence? Yeah. I can see adding them into you know Dust Till Dawn having them and having them be and, and having them be like helping fight off the which wasn't the vampire part. That was all like Robert Rodriguez, wasn't it? So yeah, that's I'm, right. Dude, I'm dodging. I'm, I'm again. I'm again rejecting your question, John. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to stop talking. We'll keep it with Jules. Okay. I, my finger was over the button again. I, I was going to play it twice uh, in one I, episode. I know. Daily double for you, Pat. Yeah. <laughs> Although the irony of if you had uh, if you had Drexel show up in from Dust Till Dawn, he gets to play another vampire. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just saying like these two characters would have been, would have been pretty cool as part of the dust of dawn, like mm-hmm. the ones that got held up in the bar. Yeah. I hadn't thought about putting them in there. That could have been, that could have been cool. Mm-hmm. Put, uh, put Clarence and Patricia mm-hmm. in the diner scene in Pulp Fiction. Oh, and the cool. two yeah. the two couples have their guns pointed at each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be good. Just created our own Mexican standoff. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan. All right. You guys, do you have anything else? This is a great movie. This is an awesome movie. And Dayton, I'm so excited you got to be here with us and, and just share some of your love of this movie with us. And yeah, such a such a fun movie. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's one that I revisit frequently. And yeah, it's just so much fun and has so many great people in it. And yeah, I, I recommend it to people that haven't seen it. And they're always so surprised. Like Just like you guys, how did I miss this? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put this on my like, my my weird list that nobody knows about and doesn't make any sense, but movies that are like truly unique and like break categories. And I'm going to put it up there with like gremlins. And I think gremlins is the only other movie I can think of at the moment, but it's just, it's just unique and awesome. Yeah. That, okay. So I'm going to have a new list guys. I'm starting. It's the unique and awesome list. Right. <laughs> right on. And I'm, I'm like, because I had the same feelings when I was watching gremlins, just like, I don't know what this is. What? Like, what is going on? I can't look away. This is over the top. Like, is this horror? Is this comedy? Is it? Yes. And that's like this. Is this a love story? Is this a crime story? Is this over the top? Yeah. So yeah, man. And it's great meeting you. And thank you so much for coming and adding your, your expertise and, and knowledge of the movie. It's uh, this, this was awesome. I'm really glad that I got to jump in for the, uh, well, actually I think I got in pretty close early on with it. So yeah, anyways, yeah. This this was a great movie. This is this is why people do movie podcasts for movies like this. Yep, agreed. And then, you know, again, thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. I love you know love talking movies too. <laughs> Sweet. 
All right, everybody. It is time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Three questions. Our first of our three questions. These are the, if you haven't listened to our show before, these are the questions that are somewhat loosely based on things that happened in the movie, sometimes very, very loosely based, and often food-related. So that is, uh, that's my summary of three questions here and, and what we typically run into. And uh, speaking of food, question number one, what is your favorite kind of pie? Mm, yes. <laughs> Pat Indeed. just answered my question correctly. <laughs> I, gotta tell, I had a hard time narrowing it down. I got it down to two. <laughs> That's pretty good for this podcast. I well, I went peanut butter pie for like the chocolatey stuff, and then I went fruit. I went apple pie. Nice, nice classic. Yeah, there you go. I like a good peanut butter cup from from Baker Square, or a French nice. silk if you're going a little more mainstream. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah. I have a couple of different answers. I could go I could go pumpkin pie just any time of the year. I could absolutely have pumpkin pie any time you want to put it in front of me. But specifically, my wife and I several years ago for our anniversary, we we decided to just kind of go off into Amish country in Indiana and we stopped at a this big kind of family style restaurant. They had the most massive pie menu I've ever seen in my entire life. And they had the absolute best blueberry pie I have ever had in my entire life. So I would have to say, I think the name of the place was Das Essen House. And so the Das Essen House blueberry pie is going to get my vote as favorite pie. Wow. A lot of good, a lot of good pie, pie choices there. Now, granted, the correct answer is the one that's put in front of me. But Well, yeah. yes. Getting more specific, I'll I'll throw in those. Unless it's coconut so cream, I, I can't do that. <laughs> so I am not super knowledgeable when it comes to the pies, just because I, I the desserts I was always like the kid and I never grew up, so it was always like the ice cream, right? And I would always like, okay, a small piece of pie and like triple the ice cream, like that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, like the apple pie, I mean, there's something about like like baked apples like that. You mentioned the blueberry pie. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say cherry pie. Okay. Love how I'm hearing the tune. She's my cherry pie. And then I, here's the other thing. No, but I love I love cherries, and I love like cherry pie. And then okay, and I, I want to make sure I'm not creating this in my head because if not, I'm just gonna go home and figure out how to create it in real life. Is there a rhubarb pie? Oh yeah, yeah. yes. I have a friend who loves to make rhubarb pie, and when she makes that thing, it is, it's appointment eating. Yeah, so so here's the thing, like, I, my, my mom had a wonderful garden in the backyard, and even as a kid, like, I would go out there, and I would just eat, 
like whatever vegetables, I would just eat them like right off the plants. And I would eat, I'd be chonking on the rhubarb, which I know, you know, anyways, I believe, I remember my mom making rhubarb pie and I haven't had it forever, but I just, whenever I can get some rhubarb pie, I love rhubarb pie. We used to have, when I went to school, in, when I lived in England for a few years, we used to have one of the desserts they would give us at lunch at the school was a rhubarb pie and kind of a, a custard sauce. Oh, it was wonderful. So good. Wonderful. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to, that's, those will be my choices and I'm going to go find a place that I can go get rhubarb pie and cherry pie, maybe right now. <laughs> and then I'll bring it to my house and I shall watch this movie again while eating pie. There you go. All right. Question number two. What is your favorite comic book that you've ever read? I got to admit, this was the hardest of the three questions for me. Yeah, um, yeah it is for me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did want to just go whip out, a, you know, well, X-Men, whatever. I, so I, I tried to get creative. <laughs> And uh, one I read a few years ago is called The Realm from Image Comics. It's it's kind of the Road Warrior meets Dungeons and Dragons is the best way to describe it. A little bit of a synopsis. The creatures of myth have invaded the modern world and magic is power. Plunge into a world of darkness. The remnants of civilization must fight to survive. So it's 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 modern day, but it has orcs and goblins and magic users and stuff like that. And people, it's kind of like, you know, you have Dungeons and Dragons. Remember the t short-lived TV show? Oh, shoot. Revolution? Where all the power went out and yes. the yeah. yeah, so it's like that with Dungeons and Dragons mixed in is the best way to put it. So that was a pretty cool one. Nice. And then the other one is one I'm currently reading. It's called Something Is Killing Our Children from Boom Studios. Yes, I'm going to destroy their names. James Tynoen the fourth and Wertha Del Aldera takes place in a little small town called Archer's Peak. Children go missing. Most are found dead and in pieces. The police don't believe the only survivor and are clueless to what to how to pursue it. A mysterious young stranger named Erica Slaughter has come to town to do what no one else can do, and that's kill monsters. And that's all that she does. So it's it's very spooky and very uh, the artwork is a uh, quite stylized and the monster that's stalking the children can only be seen by children. Yeah. So it's it's dark and I'm really enjoying it. We're actually going to do an episode on it later in April. Oh yeah, so nice. It's fantastic. Yeah, I had I was had been buying the first did I buy like the first six or seven issues of that one? Yeah. Yeah, and, and was really enjoying them. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 very good, very good. Yeah. What about you, Bo or Pat? I know that you guys, you guys may not read as many comics as we do, but you have a favorite. Yeah, gosh, I can't even remember the last time I read one. Unfortunately, it was probably a Dark Horse Star Wars comic, though. Okay, I'm not gonna remember which one, mm -hmm. but most likely Dark Empire. Maybe a long time ago. Every time I tell myself I gotta read more comic books, I never do. <laughs> Yeah, that was when I first moved over to England. That's kind of, I picked up the, because they had the, the British comics were kind of in the large magazine format. And those are the, the first couple of ones I picked up was Dark Empire. And I think I was, when at the time I picked it up, I was like halfway through the story. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Hold on. 
Right. Must find back issues was that one. And then I had also, at the and this is what st- started my love of the whole thing, was I also picked up an issue. It was an issue of Star Wars, and it was an issue of Aliens. And they were they were in the middle of, it was supposed to be kind of a, not really a sequel to Aliens, but yeah, I think it was supposed to be kind of a sequel to Aliens, and it was before Alien 3 came out. And it was as if, in this particular story, Newt was an adult. And she was, it wasn't the same, like there's a, there's now like an alternate version of Alien 3 that had been released just a couple years ago, I think. And the idea was that Newt and Hicks had survived and that's what that sequel, this was something different, but that was kind of what got me hooked on Aliens at that point. Got it. But I, in fact, oh yeah, go, go ahead. No, I did I interrupt your thought. No, I was just going to say those those are not necessarily the ones I'm picking as my favorites, but I'm still trying to work through my own head what those are. So I'm going to let you go first, Pat. Well, and it's an interesting question. I, you know, Bo, it's interesting to hear your thoughts. I, I I'm sorry, I, I don't want to be that guy on the podcast, but I never read a lot of comic books growing up. I had a friend that was like huge into it, and. Honestly, when we were hanging out, I I almost enjoyed more just having him tell me the stories. Like like it was like the oral tradition of comic books because he'd be like, "Well, then there's this guy. Well, there's this guy. You know." And so that was kind of my link to the comics was was that and just kind of what he would like share with me. Except for one, I loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books, and I actually got into the comics before I started watching like any of the shows or any of that kind of stuff. And so I loved, and I had, and I just would buy like the graphic novels as soon as I could snap those up. And now I found a bunch of the like retro reprints where they were all black and white. Like I Mm -hmm. dug Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books and and comics. And I just, I love, I just loved everything about it. And I really, and I know when we talked about the movie, I think that was, Partially why I liked, we talked, you're either a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 fan, right? Like there's a, there's a divergence there. And I always loved the original movie. So I love the turtle comics. And in fact, I got to take those out when I get home and like give them to my son so he can start reading them. But I would say like that. And then it's really interesting. You know, you guys know, like my, my favorite comic book character is Wolverine. And that was largely because it was my friend that would like tell me all these stories. It was his favorite. And so he would share those with me. And there's one comic that really like stands out in my mind. And that is the Wolverine bloodlust comic. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I've got to go back and read it, but I love the artwork. I love the story because boy, I might be wrong, but I think that was where like, but, but that was when he was on his own. Like the X-Men were in it. And I think, isn't that like about the time Storm was like trapped on the asteroid or something? And again, I'm, I'm still like, I'm figure I'm trying to remember this based on the stories that my friend would tell me. But the Bloodlust comic, I just dug it that it was him on his own. And I just thought it was so cool. So my answer, I will give you two. The Bloodlust, Wolverine Bloodlust was awesome. And then whichever, like, any of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stuff, because I just, the original, the original Eastman and Laird comics, I, I just thought were great. Yeah, I almost mentioned, uh, called out a TMNT one. It was, they were drawn, it was guest artists, and they were drawn as samurai warriors. 
very dark. They were okay. actually snapping turtles. The face looked like a snapping turtle, and they were dressed as samurai warriors. It was a fantastic book, and artwork was amazing. Yeah, that is so cool. That is so cool. All right, well, you might have given me enough time to think through what mine are going to be. <laughs> not, okay, not, I'm not, I'm not sure yet, but you... You stalled just long enough that I could <laughs> maybe narrow this down a bit. All right, so so for mine, and I, 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 there are a couple I wanted to mention just because I've, I've read them recently, and 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 unfortunately recently I've I've had to cut back a little bit on on the comic books because I'm like, well, there's there's other stuff we got to pay for right now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna cut back on a couple things here and there. But one of my favorites that I had read recently that ties in with the something is killing the children, you know. So if you haven't seen this one, Dayton, you might enjoy this one. There was one that Dark Horse did just over the course of the last few months or so called Night of the Ghoul. I haven't seen that one yet. Cut that one. Okay, this one I I really enjoyed it. It is, it's got elements of the like the Universal monsters. It's got it. It has very much a feel of the thing. To it, basically the idea, actually, I'll read you the, the synopsis of, of issue number one here, the, the promo they have for it. So the, the basic idea of this is that there was a fictional movie called Night of the Ghoul. So this is the story of the comic. So shot in 1936, Night of the Ghoul by writer-director T.F. Merritt was meant to sit beside Frankenstein and Dracula as instant cinema classics. But the legendary film never made it to the silver screen. Just before editing was finished, a mysterious studio fire destroyed the footage, killed the cast and crew celebrating it at the rap party. Forrest Inman is a horror film obsessive who digitizes old films for the famed Aurora Movie Studio. When Forrest stumbles across a seemingly forgotten canister of footage, he just might have discovered the remnants of the lost classic Night of the Ghoul. This discovery sends Forrest on a dark odyssey where he is warned by a mysterious old man that the film's ghoul is far more than a work of fiction, it's a very real monster who plans to kill him. And it is, it is, I, I have tried to find, since a couple years ago, I've, I've shied away a little bit. I mean, there's still superhero comics that I buy, but I've tried to find, I've tried to expand a little bit more. I'm like, okay, maybe not quite so much tights and flights kind <laughs> of a deal, but let's find some other type of comics. So I, I started seeking out horror comics. I'm like, if you can, if, if I can, if I can be terrified by a comic book, like if you can do that to me on the written page, on the illustrated page, if it's not a movie or an audio or something like that, if you can do that in comic book form and I'm still scared by it, then I think you've mastered the horror elements. And so there was one, there was one that was done a few years ago. I'm, I'm going to blank out on who did it, but it was called Infidel. And that was really, really well done. I think that one was Image Comics, but that one was great. But this Night of the Ghoul, I really enjoyed this Night of the Ghoul. It, it very much has has some kind of Dracula vibes, the thing kind of vibes, and the, the art and the, the, the writing are just awesome. It's a writer is Scott Snyder, artist is French, Francesco Francavia, and it yeah, it, it's it's been a lot of fun to follow. So that's like new recent one. I was racking my brain because, I mean, I am, in terms of comics, I'm a child of the 90s. And that's when I started collecting in earnest. My dad, we were living in England, and my dad came back from a trip back to the States, and he brought with him Batman number 499 and Superman number 81. And that was around the time where Batman, Batman 499 was after Bruce Wayne's back had been broken by Bane, and John Paul Valley was the, the new Batman, and he had just built for himself these razor gloves that he had that could shoot the little little batarangs out of the glove 
and uh, he was he, he was more violent than Bruce Wayne had been and, and just a very different kind of Batman. And then Superman 81 was, I want to say, that was the first issue where Superman had come back to life and he was in the black and silver suit with the long hair and you had the other four Supermen that had taken over while he had been dead. And I remember getting these comics and thinking, what happened to the Super Friends? <laughs> it was it was one of the first times since as a kid I knew all these characters and I knew the stories but I mainly knew them from the Super Friends cartoon I hadn't been reading comics up to that point and so I look at these and I go Batman's like beating the crap out of people I'm like this is kind of fun and who's this Bane guy they broke his back wait what and it just it, it blew my little 12 13 year old mind at the time and I was like okay well I'm hooked now and then it just so happened that the next two issues, Superman 82 and Batman number 500, were the ones where, you know, the, the new Batman has his, has his rematch with Bane and goes up against him, and it had, like, the shiny foil cover. And same thing with Superman 82. It was the kind of the end of the Return of Superman storyline. It had the shiny foil cover on it. And I'm like, man, comic books got fancy since I was a kid. Like, this is this is kind of cool. So I, I think I would lean towards either the Batman Nightfall storyline, the Superman, like the, the Death and Return, if I could lump all those together. If it wasn't going to be either of those two, it would be Kingdom Come because that is just, it's such a beautiful, if you other guys haven't seen it, it's Alex Ross, and he paints his comic books. It, everything is a painting, and it's just, it's so beautiful, and it's such a, I love the story of it, too. And Alex Ross actually lives somewhere nearby to where we live, and they did an exhibit of some of his work at the county, well, we have a Lake County Museum that's over, in it's the town over from the school districts that we work in. They did an exhibit uh, several months ago of his work, and it just, yeah. Everything I love about comics, you take it and you have someone painting the comics as opposed to the typical pencil ink and colors and, and everything else. But that is a, is a beautiful, beautiful book kingdom come. Yeah, it's a good book. A friend of mine loaned that to me early two thousands. And I, I could, I just read the whole thing in one sitting, which I know it's not yeah. seeing a lot, but at the same time, it's a fantastic book, the artwork and the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good book. And I will, I will forever give a shout out any chance that I can to Jeff Mazuka, one of our co-hosts, because we were both at the C2E2 comic convention in Chicago, and I think I had a bunch of other stuff I was going to do, and I want to say that day Jeff was just like, hey, I'm, I'm just here to see Alex Ross. And uh, <laughs> Jeff took my, I had brought all four issues of Kingdom Come with me to see if I could get them autographed, and Jeff was like, well, I'm going to be waiting in line anyway, so if you want me to get these autographed for you, I'll just wait in line and do it. And I, I think he waited in line maybe over three hours. And and he got all of the all the issues autographed for me. So I I am I am forever indebted to Jeff for waiting in line the three plus hours to get my Kingdom Come comics autographed. Now, slight tangent before we get to the the final of the three questions. Funniest moment in a comic, I still think, is also I think it was I think it was nineties. They did an Underworld Unleashed series where you had this demon figure was granting wishes to the heroes and villains of the DC universe. And he was allowing them to upgrade their powers or upgrade something about themselves. He was making deals with everybody. So if you sell him your soul, he will, if you're a minor villain with, with piddly powers, you know, he'll, he'll, if you sell your soul to him, he will give you powers where you can compete with Superman. 
now, or he'll upgrade your suit for you, or or whatever. He would he would cut a deal with you. And there's a scene where all the villains, all the villains are sitting around talking and they're kind of comparing what they all got. And Captain Cold is like, yeah, I can, I don't need the gun anymore. I can just generate cold from my body and I can do that. And, and Lex Luthor is like, yeah, I, I got the revitalized health. You know, I was, I was sick. I had cancer. I'm, I'm back now and I'm better than ever. I'm, I'm, I'm super healthy. And everybody's going around and talking and they turn to the Joker and he's sitting over there. I think he's smoking a cigar and they turn to the Joker and they're like, Hey Joker, what did you get? What did you trade your soul for? What did you get? And he holds up. He holds up a box. He goes, "Box of Cubans." <laughs> I. That is the most appropriate answer that the, that the Joker could ever get. There is nothing the Joker would want. Just the opportunity is like, sell my soul. Sure, what, box of Cubans. Sounds good. And I think I think Mark Wade was the writer of that one. And the one chance, the opportunity I had to see him. At one of the comic book shows, I told him that. I said, that you're, the, that scene that you wrote with the Joker selling his soul for a box of Cuban cigars is by far one of the funniest moments, one of the most laugh-out-loud moments I've ever had reading a comic. That is awesome. That is awesome. All right, question. Hey, a, oh, yeah, they'll go for it. I, I, I'm going to throw in the, the most unique, I don't know if unique is the right word, but the most, wow, they put this into a comic I ever had was where I went to where I went to college, there weren't a lot of Italian folks, right? And so uh-huh. I had a lot of friends that were fascinated that I was Italian. And then I had also was brought up Catholic. And so they were like, kind of fascinated by that as well. And so they would always like talk to me about like the Pope and you know, just that that whole discussion, getting to know people from other parts of the country, the whole thing. And so they said, Oh well we gotta show you the Pope comic. And I was like, the Pope comic? They're like, yeah, you fly around and his miter hat is a whole thing and it shoots laser. And I'm like, oh, geez, okay. And so then all of a sudden they bring in and they loaned me um, their copy that was they still had it in the bag and everything of the, the Pope John Paul II comic book. But it wasn't anything like sci-fi or fake. It was actually like his life story in a comic book. And I'm like, well, this is actually this is kind of crazy. I didn't know that this kind of stuff existed, but it was like, that was the most unique comic that I read. And it was, it was basically the John Paul II autobiography in comic book form. <laughs> and it was about his young life and what he did. And I, I think I, if I remember right, I think maybe he fought in the resistance during the second world war. And like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like they had me totally were shining me on, like saying that it was all this other type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was that was of, of all the comics that like my all of my friends were. That was definitely the most unique. Like, oh well, I guess they make anything into a comic. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. All right, question number three, our final question for the night: What is the best Mexican standoff scene in a movie? Yeah, this one was hard too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is this is challenging. Well, my brain first just went to pretty much any John Woo movie mm-hmm. because he's kind of good at that. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so I'm I went with the one one of his one of my favorites from him, and that's Face Off. Yes, and uh, but I specifically love the uh, standoff at the church after the funeral. You know, you have you get you start off with Caster and the, they're in the church together. Out comes Joan Allen. And then you go from one-on-one to two-on-one 
and then Junior Garchon shows up, so it's two on two, and then another bad guy shows up, so you have three on two with poor Joan Allen standing right in the middle of all these guns, mm-hmm. and it's just the camera movement to go from one person to the other, just so you can see the angles that you're, you're getting the use of tight shots and the eyes to kind of generate motion, even though nobody's moving the doves flying around inside this church. When the guns start going off, you know, it's it, I just love the, the doves in a symbol of peace inside of a church juxtaposition to such violence going on in this church. It's, it's over quickly, but the tension before it happens is just, Wonderful. And then Gina Gershon's character is lying on top of Nicolas Cage and talking to him as if she's still still thinking it's Castor says, please take care of our boy. Don't let him grow up to be like us. And he's like, yeah. And okay. And it's just such a great scene. And it's only a few minutes long. It's like three, two or three minutes long tops. And it's still... I think, unfortunately, I think the movie should have ended there, but then they have that ridiculous boat chase after that. But <laughs> it's such a such a good scene and so very well done. So that was that was my choice. Great one. Yeah, awesome choice. I thought of a couple, but I'm just going to say the first one that came to mind, and that was Broken Arrow. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where he tells him to put it down and he challenges into a fist fight. I don't know if I thought of that one first because it was Christian Slater or what, but yeah, that was like the first one that popped into my head, and I was like, yeah, we'll go with that one. <laughs> awesome. I'm I'm gonna go with the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Classic. Oh, yeah. that's a good one too. I I I love westerns. I love the I love the Sergio Leone movies, and I I just think that just is a fantastic scene. The whole build from when they discover it and they played the Symphony of Gold and I mean is, is it Symphony of Gold? Is that what that tune is called? Yeah. I think it is. I think so. I don't know. I gotta listen to the soundtrack. Does that ring a bell? I'll take your word for it. Yeah, it just it's a cool. Yeah, you're tune the music guy, Pat. If you don't know, you might be in trouble. Not Symphony, it's at the I think it's Ecstasy, ecstasy of, of Gold. Ecstasy of Gold, yes. And it's, yeah. Ecstasy of Gold. Okay, good. I recovered at the end. I always call it Symphony of Gold. Ecstasy of Gold, and, and I, I'm forgetting their names, but the, the one that's the ugly is the one he's kind of spinning around, and it just builds up, and then they're all standing there, and it's just shot so much in the style of that movie, and they're going to each, going back and forth to each guy. It's just building up, and yeah, it's. I'd have to say that's one of my favorites. And I saw those movies way too young, and I remember that from being a kid, like, just thinking that that was an amazing scene. Yeah. So when I was working through my list, I was trying to figure out I face off was obviously in there and that I, I almost did that one as, as my number one. I do love the scene in Pulp Fiction when they're in the diner. We're, we're all yep. going to be good little Fonzies. I, I think the one I've got to go with just because I, I have such a, I don't know if it's an irrational love of this movie, but I have such an irrational love of this movie. I think I got to go with the shootout at the OK Corral in Tombstone. I thought you might. I just I, I, I love that whole part where just where where Val Kilmer just gives a little wink and you know that that's when everything is about to go down. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> bam, bam, yep. bam, bam, bam. Yeah, but I, yeah, I don't know. Face Off is so good. 
Yeah, there's a and there's a few of those in Face Off. There's not just you know. Right. Yeah, there's a few of them. It happens yeah. like four or five times throughout that movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. No, that's a tough one. I I might actually be rejecting my own question on this one. <laughs> I'll stick. You know what? I'll stick with Tombstone. I love that movie. I'll stick with Tombstone. Now I mentioned this question to my wife, and the first thing that popped in her head was the scene in Anchorman between the two rival networks. <laughs> yes, oh, that's right. <laughs> That is good stuff. Oh, that's so right. That's why I love her. <laughs> Bert killed the guy with a tripe. <laughs> Dorothy Mantooth oh, is a saint. <laughs> oh, All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. That's going to do it for True Romance. And as if it hasn't been made obvious to you already, you need to go check out this movie. If you have not seen this movie, you need to go find this movie, whether you love Tarantino or not. If you do, which we, we love a lot of his movies, if you want to complete your collection and complete your, your viewing of his movies, you got to go check this one out. And I think I would hazard a guess and say this is, I'll have to think about this one. I'm not going to throw this question out there for us because it would take days to answer, but in terms of in terms of my favorite movies of his, this may have this may have done a pretty good job of catapulting itself, if not to the very very top. It's it's pretty close up there. It's uh, it's it's fighting for position as as King of the Hill. Yeah, this this one was such a fun one. Um, you can find us if you go to uh, any of the different social medias. We are typically there at Thirty Podcast is where you'll find us there. Thirty podcastcom is our website. Our next episode's coming up in, so this month of March, our theme is One Bad Day. So uh, movies where things are kind of going okay and then goes completely off the rails from there. Our Patreon episode is Octopussy from 1983. Our Patreon shorts are Superman 3 from 1983 and Shazam! Fury of the Gods from 2023. So far this month, our episodes have been Cliffhanger, Groundhog Day was last week. True Romance is this one. Next week, we're doing Falling Down, and then we're finishing that month off with The Fugitive. And then April, our theme is Location, Location, Location. All the movies have a location in the title. Our Patreon that time around, which does not follow the theme, but our Patreon is The Razzies of 1993, Indecent Proposal, Body of Evidence, Cliffhanger, Last Action Hero, and Sliver. And our Patreon charts are Sleepaway Camp from 1983 and Evil Dead Rise from 2023, which I am so much looking forward to. I don't, I don't care that Bruce Campbell's probably not in the movie. It, <laughs> the movie has evil and dead in the title, so I'm going to go see it. And then our regular episodes for that month are Sleepless in Seattle, A Bronx Tale, Gettysburg, and Philadelphia. So all kinds of good stuff coming up. Dayton, I know you shared a little bit at the beginning, but tell us where we can find you and for, for social media and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, what's your uh, what's your next episodes coming up on your show? Sure. Well, on social media, we are on Twitter at DockingBase77Pod, Facebook at DockingBase77Podcast. And we are streaming free everywhere. We're on Audible and Apple Podcasts and pretty much anywhere you can find us, which is kind of cool. So a few months ago asked me, are you on Audible? I go, I don't know. And we are. So I was excited. I will be. <laughs> um, it's, it's a surprise when they find stuff like that out. Yeah. We, like I said before, we're, we're focusing uh, March on Women's History Month. So we're talking Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days. And the music episodes are from the Donnas, Spend the Night, which is a great record. Later in the month, or actually in April, like I said, we're talking about the comic book, Something is Killing Our Children. 
And some upcoming episodes include Queen's Rikes Operation Mindcrime. We're going to do a top seven rock anthems, things like that. So we do at least one or two music episodes, at least one or two movie episodes a month. And I always look forward to that fifth week because it means I can just pick whatever I want to talk about that week. So we have a lot of fun and it's a blast. And like I said, we're streaming free everywhere. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. And, and again, thank you so much for being here. I was so excited to be able to get you on here. And I know when we shared the list with you and you were like, this one, this one, yeah. I like this one. <laughs> it's like, I yeah, didn't even hesitate. I, it's like, oh no, that one. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, there was a lot of good ones in March and April. I'm like, no, it's gotta be that one. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for having me. It's been, a, it's been awesome guys. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming out. This is great. Yeah, man. It's great meeting you. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, as always, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Go watch this one if you haven't had a chance to see this one yet, and we will see you back here next time with Falling Down. And you know what? If the burger doesn't look like it looks on the menu, I'm sending it back because that's not right, and the customer is always right. (laughs) 